good uh, for Wednesday night. Uh, don't forget that we eat at 5.30. Uh, then we have our youth Bible study. We have our FBI kids. We also have uh, our prayer meeting. Uh, that begins at 6.30. Uh, Laura is still looking for volunteers uh, to help out with the Schools Out Cookout. That's June 5th, uh, which I guess, Celine, June 5th, is that, I guess that's this coming Saturday. So this Saturday uh, from 11 to 2. So if you guys can help out with that, any of us can help out with that, please uh, uh, jump in. I think that there's a link online that you can sign up to help. Also, FBI Kids Trip is coming up the following week on June 9th at 4 o'clock. And then Pastor Appreciation, looking a long way forward, uh, October the 3rd. Uh, please put that on your calendar. Uh, the last thing that I would have to, uh, I'd like to say is today is Memorial Day. Uh, and I just want to thank uh, personally all those uh, who have served uh, in our armed forces. Uh, thank you for your, your sacrifice. Uh, I told uh, some folks last week Memorial Day is going to have a much different meaning for me uh, come September. Uh, because one of my own uh, will be joining the armed, for armed forces forever, how long the Lord uh, allows him or calls him to that. Uh, so uh, every day is Memorial Day for Jesus, but we want to take the time to celebrate those uh, who have uh, who've given up so much uh, for us. So thank you uh, to all those who have served. Uh, that's all the announcements that I have. So if you would, please, let's stand and let's greet one another in the Lord.
Morning. I'll just keep talking whenever you know, I get done and somebody else comes up and we'll leave when everybody gets done. So just take your time and talk. It's good to hear chatter in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's been some time that it was quiet in here and it, that's never very good. Uh, the reading this morning is in Psalms 29 and it talks about the voice of the Lord. I want you to think about it as you hear this. God spoke everything into existence. Now, he didn't have to. He could have thought, and it would have happened. But he spoke everything into existence. He breathed the breath of life into us, just like he was speaking to each and every one of us. Psalm 29, 1-11. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple... All cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Father, we come this morning in thanksgiving. We are truly blessed. Uh, Father, we certainly thank you for your provision, for your abundance. Father, uh, Father, you lavish gifts upon us, Father. You, you give us what we need Father, and then some, Father. Uh, not only that, Father, you give us an opportunity to serve, Father, and that's what each new day is, a brand new opportunity, Father, for us to come to you and ask for a fresh filling of the Spirit, Father, that we may go forth and serve you. Father, that's all you've ever asked your people from the beginning is to get to know you and to make you known to the world around us. And Father, we're no different. That's all you ask. Father, you give us everything we need to accomplish just that. Father, we certainly uh, pray for those that are sick among us, Father, as those with doctor's appointments and visits, Father. We would certainly pray, Father, that you've already cleared the path to each and every one, Father. We pray for those that have mourning loss, Father, whatever the loss may happen to be, Father. Father, we pray for those that are not here this morning, Father, for whatever the reason may be, Father. And I pray you reach out to them, Father. Draw them ever nearer to yourself. Father, we pray for the opportunity that each new week brings, Father. And Father, we pray, Father, you help us make the most of it. And Father, as we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend, Father, we thank you for those that gave it all, Father, that we may gather together and worship you today, Father. Certainly pray for the families, Father, that, that made that sacrifice, Father. 
Father, we pray for the future, Father, and know, Father, that it's in your hands, Father, that you have a perfect will and a perfect time, Father, that your grace and your mercy abounds. Father, we uh, thank you for your giftedness, Father, the way you take care and, and use us, Father, at, even though, Father, sometimes we think we're unusable. We love you, Father, and we just ask you, draw us together to worship. We come to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. church if you'll join us in singing this morning we all start on the outside the outside looking in this is where grace begins we were hungry we were thirsty with nothing left to give oh the shape that we
as we come to the table this morning, I pray that you'll just worship with us. Just let all abandon go and just worship God in his strength and in his might and in his mercy and his grace. He has given us so much that we could never thank him enough. So just worship him this morning and and be glad. Church, will you come pray for our community?
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness. God, we, we thank you that you love us and care for us, that you give us peace and grace and hope that is all beyond anything. God, that we deserve anything we could earn, and you bestow it upon us freely. God, we thank you that you love us in spite of our sin. You love us out of, God, the, the abundance of your character. And you sent your son to die in our place. And God, so as we are gathered here this morning, and I have no doubt that a, among the people in this room, God, there's, there's burdens and heartache. There's uncertainty. God, I just, I praise you because in the midst of our, our uncertainty, in the midst of the heartache that we have, God, in the midst of the trials that we face in this world, God, we know that you are with us, never leaving us nor forsaking us, but working all things together for good because we are your people. And so God, we pray that even when we cannot see what that good is, even when it is too far away for us to recognize, God, that we would be comforted by it. And that, God, we would find peace and hope resting in your name. God, we pray this morning for those, God, who are sick in our community, those who are hurting, God, those who have lost loved ones. We, we pray that, God, you would comfort them. God, you would comfort them in the time of trial, tribulation. God, I pray, I pray for those who are lost in our community. God, we know many this morning. God, they're, they're gathering with family or friends. They're going to have cookouts because of this Memorial Day weekend. They're, they're going to spend time together in the mountains or at the beach or at the lake. But God, they do not know you. They're far from you. God, I pray that we would be light in the darkness. We would share of the great hope that comes from knowing you. God, lead and guide us as a church. Use us for your kingdom and your glory. God, we're grateful for all that you are, all you've done, and all you're going to do. God, we thank you that you love us. We pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen.
this morning. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given us, including our salvation. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made sending your son to die on a cross and to raise from the dead just to save us. You didn't have to, but you wanted to. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to call you our Lord and our Savior. Father, I pray this morning as the pastor comes that you will give him the words to speak Father, that you will bestow grace and mercy on our staff, on our people, Father, on our community. We pray that this Memorial Day, that as we memorialize those who have lost their lives in the sake of freedom, Father, that we will have the opportunity to share your freedom with our community. We pray that you will open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes to what you have to tell us this morning, Lord, that we can Apply it to our lives and share it with others. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
right, children's church. Y'all can come on down here. Any other kids for children's church? Doesn't sound like you need any more, Brad. I'll be straight up with you. Sounds like you have the right number. Is that mine? Hopefully not. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning and glad uh, that you have come uh, to worship uh, with us. Um, This, uh, this weekend for our uh, nation, I, I believe is one of our, our most important national holidays. Um, obviously, the, the 4th of July is probably uh, the most uh, important. Uh, but uh, in 1776, when those guys uh, all gathered there in Philadelphia and signed uh, the Declaration of Independence, they were setting up the necessity of a National Memorial Day. Uh, they may not have thought of it in that way, although I suspect that they did, and they knew what would be coming, uh, because it had really in many ways already started. And so uh, this, this weekend we get to uh, enjoy ourselves um, because of those who no longer do. And uh, um, I'm not one who wants us to Goodness, I know preachers that they, everything that's on the calendar, they got to have a special sermon for, and that's certainly not me. Uh, and yet, I think we all, in being able to gather freely this morning, um, and not under threat, uh, not in hiding, uh, we realize that that has been uh, purchased for us uh, by uh, men and women who have died in service to our country. And so um, it is right and fitting uh, that we remember them uh, this weekend um, and more often uh, because as Christians we realize the cost that has come and we realize that there are many places across the world where uh, they do not gather with freedom because they do not have uh, the sacrifices uh, that we've had in our country. So uh, it's right that we do that for Memorial Day. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We'll pick up in just a moment in verse uh, 16. I wonder as we gather this morning and we open up God's Word, how you would answer this question. What do we value most in the ministry God has called us to? What do we value most in the ministry that God has called us to? What's the greatest asset to a church or a ministry? What's most important? You know, for each one of us, I think we have to answer this question individually, and I think it is the answer to that question uh, that has caused people throughout history to form different churches and to go from one church to the other 
It's often the reason, I think, that there are so many denominations. What do we value most? What do we value? What is the greatest asset that we have? I want to encourage you to think along these lines this morning as we read this text. I believe that we must understand that people are the mission. We have a mission from God, a a direction that He has sent us on. Christ has commissioned us to go and to make disciples of all nations. And, And because of that, people are our mission. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 16, I invite you to to join me in reverence to God's Word this morning as we read together Acts 16, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says this, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination. And brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out. These are servants of the most high God. Who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul having become greatly annoyed. Turned and said to the spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. To come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, 
Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. They they came and apologized to them and took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. You may be seated. We encounter here in this trip that Paul and Silas take to the city of Philippi, three particular people. Lydia, who we looked at two weeks ago, and and her salvation there at the place of prayer. Today, we see this slave girl who is quite the opposite of Lydia. Lydia, who no doubt was most likely wealthy, and now a slave girl who has nothing, and is, is the service of these men who use her for gain. And then we're also introduced to a jailer who does his job and seemingly does it well. And yet what he needs most of all is an encounter with God. We interact with these three people and we see that this mission that Paul has, this mission of of Paul and Silas in Philippi is about people. The mission is about people. People are the mission. Everywhere he goes, that is what he seeks to find, is is people who are either sort of following God or maybe not following God at all. But Paul seeks after people. People who will come to know Christ. What we encounter, though, is also a group of people who their concern is something less than the person or people they are dealing with. We encounter slave owners. We encounter magistrates we encounter even the jailer before his conversion his concern is not people his concern is not a person his concern is doing his job his concern is is being obedient to what he has been told his his concern is not people i want us to see i want us to see these instances where a concern is not properly placed And because of that, Paul interacts with that person and he begins to put their priorities in line or at least exposes how their priorities are wrong. Because I would argue that there are plenty of times for us, even as a church, even as a a ministry to the community around us, where our priorities get off of people and onto other things. And when it does, we begin to deviate from the mission that God has in front of us. We see first in the first few verses, verses 16 through 21, that they are more concerned with prophets than people. The the they in this case being those who own this slave girl. What do we find? Well, Paul and Silas are, are going to the place of prayer and they meet this slave girl and she has this this ability to divine. She has this ability because of a spirit within her, because of a a demonic presence within her. She has the ability to, to tell the future. And because of this, and telling fortunes, she's able to get her owners a lot of gain. We see that in verse 16. She goes around telling people's fortunes, and they make the money off of it. The ability that she has is is not a gift, it's a curse. But they see it as a gift and they use it as such. They are quite happy with her in her present condition. 
It doesn't bother them that she is a slave. It doesn't bother them that she is possessed by this spirit. But rather, they're, they're happy with it. They're receiving much gain. They're not concerned about the person. They're concerned about the prophet. And not the prophet as in telling the word of God, but the prophet as in the bottom line in the bank account. That's what their concern is. That's what they're, they're worried about. That's what they want most. They've, they've got this slave girl. We, we don't know how they obtained her. They don't know how long she's been able to do this. But regardless, instead of her being a, a free person, both free in her condition from slavery and free from the infection of this spirit, she is, she is in bondage to both this spirit that helps her tell fortunes and in bondage to these slave owners. And that is all they are worried about. And as she begins to follow, and what is a, an oddity, I think, in Scripture, she begins to follow Paul, and she's crying out, these are servants of the Most High God. And we see that, and we say, well, yeah, that's true, that's who they are. They, they are servants of the Most High God. They, they do follow after Him. But the reality is, as she went around following them in the city as they're going, we, we don't really get a sense that this was a good thing that she was proclaiming. She was not their herald out in front of them. And and the attention she was drawing to them was certainly attention that they did not want. In fact, as she is saying, they're servants of the Most High God. It it could have been very well that the people in the city thought that she was talking about some other God. She was talking about perhaps Zeus. She was talking about some other God of the many that they worshipped there. And so she kept doing this for many days to the point where Paul, he had become greatly annoyed by it. And yet in his annoyance, what he does is he turns and he casts the spirit out of her and it came out that very hour she is healed. This is, this is good news, right? This is rejoicing. We, we want to rejoice. But if we think about it, that's not always what happens when someone who is in bondage to a demonic possession is healed. If you go back in, in Jesus' ministry, when He heals the demoniac and the, the spirit is, the, the, the demon is sent into the pigs. Remember this? And the pigs all go running into the ocean. What do they say? Thank you, Jesus, for healing this crazy guy. Remember, He used to like run around with no clothes on in the graveyards doing crazy things. But what was their response? Hey, Jesus, why don't you leave? Why don't you get out of here? So you would think this would be a moment for rejoicing, right? There would would be great rejoicing in what would happen, but that's not what happens at all. But when, verse 19, her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. When they brought them to the magistrates, They said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Now, is that what had happened? Well, no. In fact, I would say that the lady with the demon walking around, hollering at them for multiple days would be a bigger disturbance than when she stopped. But what's their concern? 
their concern is profit. Verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. They were not concerned that this woman, this slave girl, had been set free of the bondage of the demon. They didn't care about that at all. They cared about the fact that their money was gone. They are more concerned with profits than people. Can I tell you that we run that risk in our own life, in the life of our personal ministry, in the life of our church? We run the risk of being more concerned about money than people. Now, you can say, well, we're certainly not concerned about profits because we are a non-profit organization. Okay. But have you ever wondered whether or not we should spend money on a certain ministry or a certain thing that we need to do, a certain program, a certain outreach, because maybe we don't have enough money? Can I tell you that, that at times... I've, I've been the pastor here for over eight years, and I've been concerned about that. I'm not saying anyone has. In fact, I would say that we've been a very generous church, but I've sat around before thinking about that. Can we do that? Can we, can we spend that money? Do we, do we have the extra money for, for this at Vacation Bible School, or, or can we spend the money on, on this particular thing? I remember the the church I pastored previously, we were having a, a difficult time financially and, and we'd come to the point of we, we've got to make some cuts somewhere. We've got to make some tough decisions because the, the money's just not there. And, and one of the guys, one of the deacons, he, he stood up and he said, well, listen, he was from an independent Baptist background, okay? So he didn't really know a lot of things that we were doing. And he said, listen, here's a line item where we're giving like all this money to mission work. You know, if we just cut that, we won't have to cut anything else. And there was a guy, he, he never said hardly anything. I mean, never spoke up hardly at all. He said, you know, I think not. He said, we did that one time when things got tough and they got worse. He said, let's look somewhere else. See, that, that money there is actually a reflection on people. And he was more concerned about keeping the money to make sure we had some in the bank in this instance, than he was taking care of people who we had said we were going to support from a mission standpoint. We can get to that point where we're more concerned. We're more concerned about how much money we have and what kind of profits we have than we are about the people we've been called to reach. Can I tell you that we can do that internally? Will gas prices go up I might need to hoard my money a little better. Things, things are kind of rough right now. I, I might need to, to protect this a little better. Make sure it's there for the future. Can I tell you, God's already got our future. And He knows what we're going to need. And if we become stingy with our money because we don't want to, to worry and we, don't want, to make, we want to make sure that we're, we're set up for the future and we begin to not care about people, God's got a problem with that. 
I hope that, that we never as a church get to the point where we say we can't spend this money on reaching these people because we've got to make sure it's here for something else. And I'm not talking about being unwise. Listen, we've got a building that's aging. There's things you've got to take care of with that. We believe that, that our, our facilities are for ministry. It's what we use them for. I'm not aware of any part of our facility that is, um, you know, the, the sitting room that you don't allow the kids to go in. Right? So maybe some of you got that in your house. Maybe not. not. There's none of that in our house, as you might imagine. Uh, but, you know, the, I've, I've been to people's houses where they've got that room over there that it, you're supposed to stick your head in and look at, but you're not allowed to go in because it doesn't really serve a purpose. Like, we don't do that with our facilities, right? I mean, you go look at the carpet in the gym. There is no place untouched by human hands and little feet and little snotty noses. And that's the way it should be, right? That's the way it should be. I mean, this is the type of place that when the carpets get cleaned and all the stains go away, that's when we want to take our pictures because we know they're really going to come back tomorrow when it dries. And that's the way it should be. Because God forbid we ever get to the point where we put money and our stuff above the people we're called to reach. Because can I tell you, that if this whole place burns down tonight, the biggest lament I will have is that my library is gone. And you know what? Next Sunday, we'll meet somewhere. It might be out in the parking lot under a tent. I know a church that's for sale right now. I could go buy this week with our insurance money, and we'd have all the seating we need. We are the church, not the building. And the people that God has called us to reach are more important than the money we've got in the bank. And we've got money in the bank. We've got enough to take care of our needs. But we're not going to let that money get in the way of us reaching people. Because these guys do. These guys, instead of seeing that this woman has been set free, think about this. They spent every day with her. They knew how this demon had afflicted her. And when the demon comes out, they're worried that their money is gone. Let us never be like them. Rather, let us respond as Paul did. He saw her affliction and he responded by healing her. He responded by reaching out to her. He responded by meeting that need she had when he saw that she was afflicted. Let's be like Paul. Instead of the one concerned more with prophets than people. Next, we engage with the magistrates and we see that they are more concerned with peace than people. They're more concerned with peace than people. Look what happens. They, they brought them to the magistrates. They said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. By the way, there's, there's a clear racist remark in here. They're Jews. We're, we're Gentiles and we're superior to them. We wonder why the Jewish people have been oppressed for their entire existence, this, this racism, has there's 2,000 years of it right here in this text. An anti-Semitic view toward them. They're Jews and they're disturbing our city. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. By the way, that's, that's not accurate. We know that in large part because Paul and Silas are Roman citizens. But they lie to him. The crowd joined in attacking them. Verse 22, and the magistrates tore off their garment or tore their garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That's what happened. Why? The magistrates are more concerned about keeping the peace than dealing with the people. Right? There's, there's, no, there's no real trial here. There, there's no evidence of what they have done wrong. There's simply this crowd mob mentality that says they are doing wrong, we must respond. They're doing wrong, you must respond. They're doing wrong, you must, you must punish them for what they're doing wrong. It, it sounds eerily similar to when Christ himself was tried. Again, the mob came and yelled, crucify him, crucify him, with no clear evidence of his wrongdoing. The mob demands false justice. They are more concerned with peace than people. Can I tell you that they don't get real peace? The next day they're having to apologize for what they've done. The next day they're having to to react to the decisions they had made. There is no real peace here, but that's what they seek after. Let's, Let's placate the crowd. Let's calm the crowd. Let's make the crowd happy by giving them what they want. Let's have these two men beaten. We'll throw them in jail. Everything will be okay because then the crowd will be happy. And we'll have peace. Remember, the accusation is they're disturbing our city. Verse 20. So let's have peace at the cost of people. Can I tell you that this is an ever-present danger for the church? It's an ever-present danger for the church. That we would rather things be at peace than worry about the problems of people. Can I tell you that when we minister to people, sometimes it's not going to be peaceable. Like you're going to have to deal with difficult people. You're going to have to deal with people who have hard stories, who have difficult backgrounds. You're going to have to deal with people who have just amazing backgrounds and seem to be the nicest people and they get into the church and they're a bunch of jerks. It's just it's what ministry is. And can I tell you that if you want to have ministry in a church that is completely and 100% at peace, you will have to go to church by yourself. And even further than that, can, can we be honest? Sometimes we're at conflict with ourselves. Like when you want to do ministry with people, either whether it's the person standing shoulder to shoulder with you doing the ministry or the people you are ministering with, peace, friends, is not the final answer. Peace is not a sign that everything is good. Peace could mean that you are just full of apathy. Not that there is harmony. Can I say that that I, I think that sometimes... Peace and, and, and apathy, or apathy and harmony, look a lot alike. Like everybody's still singing, everybody's still praising, but can I say the results are very different? So if you want 
you want to do ministry that God's called you to do, peace cannot be the purpose. People are the purpose. And so what's that going to mean? It's going to mean that sometimes there's going to be disruptions and sometimes there's going to be disagreements. Sometimes there's going to be hurt feelings that you just got to suck it up and get over. That's what ministry is. That's what life is together. The Bible talks about us being a family. The church being a family. Well, let me tell you this. Sometimes in my house, it's a little crazy. And you're like, well, yeah, but you didn't have 50 kids. It wouldn't be like that. Yeah, but I got like 80 kids here this morning. If we're going to be family, sometimes it's going to be ugly. It's going to be anger. But what else do you get? You get that time when you all get to the destination of where you've been traveling for. You know, that long drive that you've taken to get to the beach, the mountains, or Disney World, or wherever it is. And man, I mean, I have this, maybe none of y'all have this feeling. Maybe I'm completely unique. But I'll be driving along, and I wonder, is this even worth it? Right? I mean, we're 10 minutes out. I want a snack. How long do we get there? I'm fighting with each other. Go to the back seat. But then you get there. You get where you were going. And all the craziness of, of packing and traveling was worth it. That's what it's like being a family together. It's not going to be peace the whole time because you got to get, you know, 80 some suitcases and you got to get them together and you got to get everybody on the bus and you got to get them in the right seat on the bus and we got to have the driver going in the right direction. But when you get there, it was worth the trip. But if you want peace the whole time, you know how I get peace? Everybody leaves, and I stay at home by myself. I mean, right? If you want, if you want just peace, everybody else has to go out. Leave. I'm not talking about leave the room. I'm talking about leave the house, lock the doors, and it's quiet. You know, last time I did that, I had the coronavirus. I was laying in bed for nine days, and everybody had to just leave me alone. That's what it's like if we're alone. But if we're going to be together, we're going to be a family, we're going to be on the road together, we're going to be going toward the destination, it's not going to be peace. Our concern has to be people. And that's what Paul's is, right? Because look, about midnight, how's he respond? They're all about peace. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. What was his response when they wanted peace? Nobody wants to listen to Paul. They want to throw Paul and Silas in prison. That's fine. We'll go to prison. We'll sing. We'll pray. And the prisoners were listening to them. What kind of impact did he have on the prisoners who were listening to him when he said, no, we're not going to have peace, we're going to be concerned about people? Well, we know that when the, the doors fly open and the chains fall off, all the prisoners stay there. It's not just Paul and Silas. Everybody stays there. Their impact just from singing and praying to God was that everybody stayed there and didn't run away. 
Are we more concerned about peace or are we mostly concerned about people? Because when we're concerned about people, even when it's tough, even when we're in bondage, even when it is difficult, we can sing and pray together and rejoice in what God is doing. They're rejoicing after they just took a beating, like a real honest-to-goodness beating with sticks. They're singing and praying in the prison. Who had more peace? That's what the magistrates wanted, right? If we just put these guys in prison, it'll, it'll calm the crowd, we'll have peace. But who had peace? It's the two guys singing and praying in prison who just took a beating, who didn't know what the future held. And yet they have peace. Which are we more concerned about, peace or people? Trust me, God will give us the peace when we're concerned about people. Third thing we see, we now encounter the jailer. We, we encountered him as he fastened them into to their chains, but now we encounter him again. The jailer is more concerned about pride than people. He's more concerned about pride than people. By the way, y'all know I don't do alliteration. It just so happened that everything's a P today. It'll be all right. Hope it's easier for you to remember. Just the way it works. Pride. What's he do? Jailer wakes up. Earthquakes happen. Verse 27. The jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why in the world would he do that? What an odd reaction that seems to be. If you know much about the, the legal standards, and I know this is a popular text, you've probably heard it before, but, but he was responsible. And so if they did escape... He was required to take on their fate and their sentence. He was to basically stand in their place. And he knew that if he's lost an entire prison full of people, he's dead. But what's weird here is, and maybe it's the, the fact that the, the earthquake has happened and, and he's, he's disoriented or whatever it was, but, but he is so consumed with the, the honor code that he has as this person who, who likely maybe was a, a former military guy and he would have this code of honor that if he loses these prisoners, his life would be required. And so he knows this is coming. So he doesn't think about the prisoners. He doesn't even check to see if they're there. He doesn't think about his family. We know he has one because we encounter them later. He doesn't think about anybody but himself and his honor. And he stands up to take his own life. He doesn't doesn't walk around the corner to check. He doesn't get a light. Likely he could have seen them even with a light. There's clearly some light on him because Paul sees him. How does Paul know he's about to kill himself? Well, Paul has to be able to see that he's about to kill himself. This man's pride in, in doing a good job we, we got that sense earlier. He, he received his order. He put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He made sure that they were being kept safely there. Nothing could cause them to escape. He's not concerned about the people. 
Do you think we ever struggle with this in our personal ministry or in our church ministry? That we might a little bit let pride creep in? Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a collective pride of, of where we used to be. Maybe it's the pride of, of thinking that we might be a little better than someone else. It's easy to do, isn't it? We, we look out, even just out the doors of the church. We can look around us and, and say, oh, well, we, we've got it better than this person over here. I, I, know, I know who they are. I, I know what kind of problems they have. I'm glad I'm not like them. Or we, we look and we see, oh, I've got, I've got a little nicer place than they do over there. Or, or this person, I, I, I know I'm, I'm more educated than they are. I realize I, I make more money than they do. It's easy for us to let pride get in the way of people. Maybe we think... Uh, Maybe we think there's somebody out there that just wouldn't be a they wouldn't be a good fit here at our church. I hope that would never creep in, but I, I think it could. But they, they 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 act differently than we do. They do differently than we do. They believe differently than we do. They've got a different background than we do. I think a collective pride we can have is, is this belief that people should just come to us, right? We're the church. We're a pretty good church. We've, we've got a lot to offer people. They should just come, right? That was a mentality, I think, for a long time in the church that, that people should just come. And, and you know what really messed us up in our pride with that is that they did. They did. Like people just came. People came. Maybe they came on one invitation. All you had to do is say, hey, would you come? Maybe they just heard about what was going on. Because we, we had a, a sign up or a, uh, you know, we'd handed out something to the school. You know, next, next Saturday we're having a cookout for the community. We handed out a, a bunch of flyers in the schools. But you know, there's a lot of people that are going to look at that flyer and they're not going to come to the cookout. You know why? Because no one they knew actually invited them to come. See, our pride would tell us that they should just come because we're awesome. We're, we're a good place to be. We're not like a real First Baptist Church, which... To be fair, we're not like a real First Baptist Church. We're like a second or third Baptist Church. So maybe a tenth Baptist Church. We're, we're just not First Baptist Church. Like high church, you know, organ rattling the windows place. 
But can I tell you that it's, it, it's our pride that would say, people should just come. Because people need, people need Jesus, and so they should just come. Let me tell you, people around us don't know that they need Jesus. In fact, they don't know who Jesus is to know that they need Jesus. So the question on something like that, what's going to be more important? Our pride of saying, we have something good to offer. People should just come because they need Jesus and they need to get over their, their sin and they need to get out of that and they need to follow after Him. Or are we going to be about people and we're going to go to them and not just say, you need to come to church. But say, I want to be your friend. I want to build a relationship with you. See, we see a contrast. The jailer all about himself. Oh, well, this has happened. I've got to take my own life. It's the honorable thing to do. To Paul, what does Paul say? Paul cried with a loud voice, verse 28, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Talk about a voice crying out of the darkness. I mean, that's what this guy heard. His death is right before him. So the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. What happened? His pride went away. His pride went away. We can only imagine how this guy acted when he brought these guys in. Remember, they just got beaten. They must have done something terribly wrong. We get a sense that he didn't even help them or treat them at all. Why? Because he does so later, right? And in that moment where that voice cries out and says, listen, we're we're all here. We didn't leave. You're not going to die. They come in and they fall before him trembling and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they say to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Friends, our pride says, our pride says, hey, you, these people need to be in church. Our pride says, these people need Jesus, right? You, you ever see the, the Burke County Sheriff's Department post all the time the people they arrested, right? And about nine out of ten, somebody's trafficking meth. I mean, that's just the way it is. And quite honestly, a lot of them live in our end of the county. But do we look at that and say, these people need Jesus? Or do we look at that and say, I need to tell them what they must do to be saved? There's a world of difference. I saw a video online yesterday of this woman who was proudly proclaiming that she was going to have an abortion. Friends, my blood was boiling. There's not enough blood pressure medication to fix that video post. I'd like to have reached through and strangled that woman through Twitter. That was the first instinct for about a half a second. And then I had to fight off crying. Because that woman needs to hear how to be saved. The first instinct is she needs Jesus, and I hope He smacks her down. But the reality is that that doesn't fix the problem. The problem is fixed when, at a point of humility, we can tell someone, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. There wasn't pride here in Paul. It wasn't, it wasn't pride in saying, hey, we stayed. Or pride in, hey, even, guess what? My God just shook this place. Paul cared about people. And so he made it a point to share with this jailer how he could know Christ. And guess what happened? He took them the same hour in the night and washed their wounds. You see what happens? He washed their wounds, and then what do they do? They wash him in baptism, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them and rejoiced along with the entire household that he believed in God. The jailer was prideful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor my code. I'm going to take my life. And Paul says, let me, let me give you life. What if your pride falls down and I, I give you life? A life-giving message. Friends, how often are we more concerned about our pride and that we might be embarrassed or might be uncomfortable than we are with people who desperately need the Lord? Then fourth, we come back to the magistrates and we find out that they are more concerned with bad publicity than people. They're more concerned with bad publicity than people. Verse 35, when it was day, the magistrates sent to the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have said to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. They want to fix the problem. Sweep it under the rug. Act like they've not had a problem. Y'all just go on. It's cool. Y'all just head on out. Go your own way. We'll call it even. Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and now they and have thrown us into prison. Do they throw us out secretly? No. Let them come and do it themselves. Are we more concerned with bad publicity than we are people? Bad publicity can be bad, right? Obviously, it's bad publicity. Are we more concerned with run a tight ship where nobody ever knows what's going on than we are about being honest with people? We do that internally, right? We, we like to, to put on a good face for everyone and never be vulnerable with anybody else. Yeah, I've heard even in preaching classes, they, they talk about how you should never as a pastor get up to preach and talk about how it's been a long week or you're tired or you, you feel unprepared. It's been a long week, I'm tired, and I always feel unprepared. Why not be vulnerable? Because y'all have long weeks, right? And, and y'all come to church tired sometimes? Most of you don't sleep through my sermon. I'm appreciative of that. The others normally have come to me and say, I've got a medication, and sure, we'll go with that. It's not the length, it's the medication. I'm cool. Makes me feel better. Why not be open, vulnerable with people? 
You know, back in the fall, we had to close down the daycare because of COVID. Because pretty much everybody that worked here, except for me and Alex, had COVID. Somehow, he's avoided getting COVID the whole time. I don't understand it. I mean, he's with snotty-nosed kids and with me and Lore and everywhere else. And everybody else got it. Day we were opening back up. I pull up to the church. I don't remember if it was Alex. Somebody else walks out and says, hey, the news is here. Like, the reporter is here at the daycare. Want to do a story on us having COVID. So my natural instinct would be, uh-uh. Do you know what the liberal media does to conservative, Bible-believing churches? I do. Not good. Everything's negative. It's going to be terrible. Sky's falling. We're the worst daycare ever. I keep a First Baptist Iker shirt in the back. We put it on. Did an interview. Positive. Showed the teachers cleaning the daycare center. Next day, news shows up again. Another news station. Hey, this is going to run statewide. We want to do a story on y'all reopening. What does the story do? Longer story this time. Teachers cleaning. Kids laughing. Kids playing. News media didn't quite get all their numbers right. Not our numbers, their numbers. Made a few people mad. Uh, it's okay. It's good publicity. But you know what the worry was? Is It was a bad publicity. But you know what I wanted to do? Is let people know we're here. We care about your kids. We're doing everything we can. If we're always worried about bad publicity, if we're always worried about how something might not work out, it might fail, people might ridicule it, they might not think it, it worked out well, or if we're always judging on, on, well, last year we had this many people come to this, and this year we don't have as many people, and if we talk about it, it's going to look bad. It looks like, let's just be concerned about reaching people. You know what Paul was doing here by making them come and apologize? He was actually setting up things better for future Christians in that city. Because they have to come, and they're afraid, because what do they find out in verse 38? They are Roman citizens. We jumped the gun. We were so concerned about peace that we just beat these guys and threw them in prison. Now we found out that what they were doing was legal, and what we did was illegal. It was okay for them to be preaching what they were preaching by Roman law. It was not okay to beat a Roman citizen, especially with no trial. And Paul and Silas are both Roman citizens. So what happened? They came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. They didn't want them to hang around, but they took them out of prison. They issued an apology. What does that do for future Christians who are preaching in Philippi? It makes it easier. Because now the legal authorities have to at least think twice before they punish someone they can't punish. It didn't fix the problem, but it sure made it better. Why? Because... Paul was concerned about people. He was concerned about the people that came after him. The magistrates just wanted all of this to go away. Can I tell you that, that we, to the extent that we can, we need to be open and honest with people about when we're going through struggles as a Christian, 
and as a church. Has the last year been difficult? Yeah. And if we act like it hasn't been difficult, that doesn't make it less difficult. It just makes us less honest. But we need to be concerned about people and relationships and reaching people with the gospel. So my question this morning is, what do you value? Do you minimize the importance of people? Because can I tell you, it is really easy to do that. And, and one good thing about us being the size we are right now is we can't minimize people very much. Can I tell you that churches that have five and 10,000 people can minimize people all day? They shouldn't, and I'm not saying all of them do, but I, I promise you they can. Because, because if somebody is hurt and they miss it or they ignore it, they don't have to deal with the consequences. What do we value? I believe that we must value people. We must value people above money and above our pride, above having peace. We don't put people above what we believe. and We don't compromise what we believe because we believe what the Bible has said. And so we don't compromise that. But friends, we're all about people. And we must be all about people. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like that your life and your ministry is not about people, you need to reorient what you're doing to focus on people. Because people matter. People are the mission. Think about that. A new building would never be the mission. A larger bank account will never be the mission. Going through routines and, and making sure we have a certain program or a certain, certain policy in place is, is not the mission. The mission is people. And we need to do everything we can to make sure that we remove the things that prevent us from reaching people and put in place all the things that cause us to meet people because people are the mission. So let's point people toward Jesus. What do you value most? You must value people because people are the mission. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness. We thank you that you have called us to yourself. God, I pray that as a church, our mission will always be reaching people. Reaching people of every age. Reaching people, men and women. Reaching people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That we would seek to reach anyone and everyone who is far from you. Regardless, God, of what they can bring to us, it's not what we seek. We seek to reach people who are far from you who you have given your life on the cross for them. God, we seek to reach them through the power of your Spirit, on the authority of your Word. God, let all the other things that, that consume us and drive us, let them be put aside. God, let us not be worried about the money. God, let our, our pride fall down in front of you. God, let us enjoy a time that is not peaceable 
if it's a time we can reach people. God, we know there will be chaos and hardship that comes. God, we know that we will constantly have to reorient our thinking if we're to reach people. But God, we know that you are about people because you sent your son to die for us. We are your people. God, let us seek. Let us seek to expand your kingdom through the power of your spirit. And God, help us to do it even today as we pray in Christ's name. you would stand with me as we get ready to sing would you pray this as we're singing whether you need to come to the front and pray this or where you're at that God would make our church always forever about people people hearing the good news people receiving the good news people transformed by the good news God has saved us friends I believe he wants to save a lot more people and that he would use us for that purpose. Would you pray that? God, God, make me about people and reaching people as we pray this together and sing together. Thank you for coming to worship this morning. I pray that as we go, uh, that, that the Lord would work in our heart uh, to soften our heart and to make us all about people. Reaching people, loving people, guiding people for the cause of Christ. Um, I hope you'll stay for Sunday school and as we continue to fellowship together. And that will be starting in just a few minutes. But as we go, think about the people in your life. So many of them, no doubt, need Christ. What could you do to begin those steps this week of reaching them with His good news?
Let's pray together and we're going to be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you that you love and care for us, that you've given us hope that we could never have on our own, we could never earn, but God, you've given it to us freely because of your great love. God, I pray that you would guide us. God, help us to follow you. Help us to be about seeing people changed. God, we love you. And we are so thankful for your grace as we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.